What's up, everybody? So we're back with another episode of the Swift Podcast. Today I bring on someone who doesn't know I've been stalking his life for the last year or so forth. The man is very intelligent. Um, he goes by the manual man on Instagram, uh, doctor of physical therapy, Nicholas Torres. So Nick, welcome to the show. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. How are you? How's, how's life in New York? Uh, it's pretty snowy, actually. It's been snowing yeah. pretty vigorously the last couple of weeks. Uh, so enjoying my day off. Today's my day off, so I get to relax a little bit, chill on the couch. Um, you know, my uh, fiance just made me my, my favorite breakfast, which is French toast. So I'm okay. enjoying my morning. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. thank you for taking your time on your day off to join me. Um, today is one of my days off too. And I, I spent a lot of time doing this stuff. Um, so we're going to get the ground running. I've seen a lot of your work. And like I told you before, via our Instagram conversations, I truly respect the work you do, especially on Instagram. And I never had the pleasure of working with you in person, but I think you're the ultimate definition of manual therapy um, and the, being the manual man as a title and a lot of the work you've done, I've used on patients quite frequently, a lot of awesome. techniques you work. And I, I reached out to you play times. I've had patients with hip pains. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm stealing it from you. Um, so, so, <laughs> Steal I know away. You, <laughs> so I know you have background in manual therapy and PRI. So just give the viewers, before we dive into that aspect, give them a little bit about yourself, what brought you into physical therapy and kind of yeah. who made, what made you who you are. So I was a football player for a long time. Basically my whole entire life until I reached my adulthood, I was playing football, American football. Okay. Um, and um, hurt myself, you know, injury after injury. Um, I fractured a scaffold bone in my wrist. I uh, tore my rotator cuff in my, in my shoulder. Um, so a lot of different severe injuries. And uh, along that journey of rehab and recovery, I was seeing that, hey, there were some physical therapists that out there that were really, really great. And there were some that were really, really crappy, honestly. And uh, it made the biggest difference when I met the right people in my life during my rehab. And it was so impactful for me that I thought, shit, I think I might just end up doing this for myself. And, and, and being that person that, can, that, that people can rely on if they have an injury, if they have something going on in their lives. You know, I, I see patients not for one week, one month, one year. I see them lifetime. So the people that I've seen, they keep on coming back because I care. I know, I know my stuff. I'm, I'm knowledgeable. Yes. But more than that, it's more about that, that, that compassion that comes with, with what we do. Um, and, and I, th I think I bring that to the table and, and I feel like that's, that's, that's something that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's priceless. Um, so, so yeah, so that was my journey and, and, and seeing that, you know, there was, there was this one physical therapist. So I was like, yeah, man, this guy's great. He's awesome. I'm like, you know, like, I, I want to be a physical therapist. And he said, don't do it. He's like, don't become a physical therapist. And I was like, why? And he's like, he's like, it's, it's not worth it. It's not, the money's not there. If you have your own business, it's a lot of shit you got to deal with. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot that you don't really get the benefits uh, out of it. And, and, and that was my advice when I was younger. And I was like, I took that and I was like, you know what? 
I want to do it more now because I want to prove this guy that actually I can make this and, and make it beneficial for him for not only for me and my financial well-being, but also the people around me. And um, and so far I'm able to do that. That's that's amazing. So it's funny you say that, right? So when I left high school, I was uh, applying for a job, and the gentleman was a physical therapist, absolutely miserable at his job. And he steered me away from PT. So the difference between Nick and I right now, Nick continued to use that as a driving force to be a PT. I went the opposite route and I was like, maybe I'll go to middle school and end up in like strength and conditioning for a little bit and then went back to PT because I felt like that was my original career. So I'm gonna piggyback off that point. So when that gentleman spoke to you, and we get it quite often, right? You can't make money in PT. It's not a sustainable job. You, your hands yeah. get tired, all that. Yeah, how do you yeah. feel now? How, how long have you been practicing for? About four years now. So how do you feel? Four years out, you've been doing a lot of manual work more than normal. Yeah. And yeah. you're rocking it. You're, you're in strength and conditioning as well. Hey, man, I, I think that uh, I definitely am happy and satisfied with, with, uh, with the position that I'm in in my life right now, my career. Yeah. And I definitely attribute that to the people that I've met in my life, my mentors who really changed my trajectory in my career. Um, uh, a couple of them, uh, Andrea Saltas is the Bob mechanic on Instagram. He was one of my major mentors early on in my career, showed me all the PRI stuff, which we're going to talk about all the PRI stuff. And, um, and then there was other people from the manual therapy world. It was all different people. Um, Greg Johnson is a really big heavy hitter name in the manual therapy world. He's like the godfather, if you may, right? Yeah. And I was able to go to his home-based clinic in Steamboat, Colorado and wow. do, a, do a clinical affiliation there. Um, and that changed the game for me because then I went to this, this mecca of manual therapy uh, and it was my last year of PT school. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't understand. I didn't fully comprehend how, how manual therapy really is in an environment where it's mastered, right? Where it's like, okay, I know exactly what to do. I'm gonna do this thing, boom. And then you, you, get that, you get that instant gratification where that patient feels different. They look different. Everything is just, it's almost like it's magic, you know, when, you, when you're watching it. Um, so I got hooked as soon as I saw that, you know, I was going to these manual therapy courses and I was learning all this cool stuff. I was like, oh, that's all, that's all fine and dandy. I went, it wasn't until I went to Steamboat, Colorado, and I actually saw it as a, as a practice, as a, a, you know, day after day, how do you look at a patient? How do you assess? How do you plan? You know, all that stuff that's super important for us um, as, as professionals. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mentioned before, I, I want to have these clients coming back to me, not only for their injury, but for their lifetime. And yeah. it's really about uh, uh, understanding their system from the inside out. And that's what I saw over at Steamboat, which was amazing. Um, and yeah, man, I'm just, I'm really happy where I am right now. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it's really hard for, for someone to get to where I am. So I'm really grateful for it. Um, but I think that anyone who's out there, PT students or people thinking about going into PT, do it. You know, don't, 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 don't think about the negatives. You got to think about the positives and, and keep on striving for, for that. That's awesome. You've got quite a, a resume of mentors, man. Um, Andres is great. Greg is great. I watched their work and I'm still learning. So I'm only about 
two years out of practice in PT school. I spent a lot of time in strength and conditioning. And I agree with you. So manual therapy for me, I feel like is a different realm. It kind of makes us stand out a little bit different, right? Like we're doing hands-on approach, assessing the tissue and just kind of figuring out what works best. Um, so I use my manual technique. So as I'm appraising tissue, I'm learning from the patient, kind of getting my Q and A's. And I used to try to teach my students is that we use our manual technique to kind of guide our answer for what we will do for movement as well and kind of get that solution together. And then from there, we have a better understanding of the body. And truly for you, I feel like that's the line of work you're doing when you're assessing and then all the exercises that follow from that. So was that the insight you got more from Greg or was that the insight you just kind of developed over time? It was, it was a kind of a mesh because so, so in the beginning, um, I, I knew Andreas from the very beginning. I, I knew Andreas from around year one or year two of PT school. Okay. So I was like, I hit him up on Instagram. I was like, hey, man, I love your stuff. I need to come see you because he was doing all this magic stuff, not with his hands, but with breathing. And yeah. I was like, I, I need this. I need like he, he was like a magician on Instagram. Right? Everyone was in love with this guy. And I was like, I need to come see you. So he, he allowed me to come see him and I would shadow him and I'll come back and shadow him again. Come back. And he's like, you still, you still here? Like I would always be there. And then um, uh, eventually when I graduated, he actually offered me a part time job in his practice. And that's when I really started, uh, understanding breathing to like the next level. Um, so, so, so that was my kind of foundation was actually the, the PRI breathing. And mm -hmm. then I dived deeper into manual therapy, um, year three of PT school and then thereafter as well. Um, and, and, and what I'm still doing, I mean, I'm still not a master at either one. I think that I'm still trying to find that cohesive mesh between PRI and the uh, the breathing diaphragm, rib cage, pelvis, all the stuff that they discuss, um, all the manual and non-manual techniques, along with the manual therapy and the IPA um, kind of paradigm of how to assess and how to treat. Um, they're 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 different, but they're similar in certain ways. So what I'm still trying to master is trying to mesh them together and collaborate those concepts and make it one cohesive unit. Um, so yeah, man, it, it, it's, it's a work in progress for sure. That's awesome. So we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. Um, we mentioned PRI with you and I a few times. I'm not too familiar with the concept. I read about it, but I haven't taken enough coursework or have the opportunity to mentor someone. Um, so tell the viewers what it is and what you truly find, like the love of it. I know breathing is a huge component. I had a, a guest yeah. previously a couple of weeks ago when we talked about breathing, but the level of breathing you're teaching, educating, completely different from what we it's, it's, it's and, and that's one thing that 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 people trainers because trainer trainers are actually allowed to go to these courses which is really right. cool um for say for example with manual therapy yeah manual therapy all the ipa ipa courses and when i say ipa i mean institute of physical art right so all the ipa courses they're only allowed physical therapists to come yeah. to it right but the pri postural restoration institute they actually allow fitness trainers uh, dentists, uh, <laughs> physiotherapists, manual—they allow a lot more of the professions to come together. Um, which I know with manual therapy, the reason why they can't do that is because there's logistics behind it. There's legal legalities behind it. Yeah. Um, so with PRI, um, the easiest way to describe it is everything um, movement-wise comes from breathing, and everything breathing-wise comes from the diaphragm. And everything within your diaphragm is generated within these innate asymmetries that are created 
because of the fact that our right diaphragm is actually stronger than our left diaphragm. That's the general like foundation of PRI. The right diaphragm is stronger. That allows us to breathe more efficiently, very generally speaking, on the right side. That allows the rib cage to be placed in a quote unquote better position on the right side. That allows the pelvis to be in a relatively more neutral or stacked position on the right side. So um, what, what Ron Ruska, Ron is, is basically the, the, the founder, the guy who basically created all this. He's basically like the Greg Johnson, but for PRI, yeah. he created all this back in like the late seventies, early eighties. And uh, he basically figured out all these asymmetries that exist innately, naturally in the human body. Um, and it, it, it goes from the right diaphragm, you know, it goes to lots of the biases we have to our right. So he speaks a lot about the liver. The liver is one of the largest, heaviest organs in your body, and it is on the right side. Yeah. So that further kind of shifts your, your weight and, sh and lateralizes your sense towards the right. Um, I just went to a cervical revolution course, which is like their upper level course. And that was like brain explosion, you know, 2.0. Cause then he was like, okay, well, you know, it's not actually, you know, um, uh, bottom up. Everyone thinks it's always bottom up feet, drive pelvis, drive rib cage upwards. And he was like, no, he's like, actually it's top down or top bottom. And it all starts with the cranial position. So right now my mind is just exploding all this new information. And that's what this guy really is able to offer you. And it's really, it's really in the generalist terms of it. It's, uh, it's the asymmetries within our alignment that now we are correcting those asymmetries via breathing exercises. Because once again, the diaphragm is our number one core muscle. We are, we're, we are able to shift and lateralize and move dependent on our core. That is the foundation of movement. So we're able to almost use that diaphragm with our breathing and we can delineate where we want the air to go, where we want the uh, expansion to be, where we want the compression to be. And therefore we can kind of stack those boxes, right? I always think about posture as stacking, like there's a pelvis box, there's a rib cage box, and we got to stack those boxes. That's, that's that vertical uh, alignment that we are looking for within our, within our posture. And I'm not saying just statically, because that's the easy part. It's about moving. Can you move through uh, a walking lunge and still maintain that stacked position? Um, so the diaphragm um, and the core is what allows us to stay in that stacked position as we move and kind of progress. That was the most amount of information this podcast has ever provided. <laughs> and I have again, to give it. This is why I respect your work, the amount of knowledge that you put out. And it's not like he's hiding any secrets from anyone. It's pure knowledge that he just wants to share with people. And that's why I truly respect is that you're just trying to educate people. So to the untrained eye, what we talked about, yes, the drive from the right side is definitely, it's stronger and to quote unquote, will be larger and, and a lot of asymmetries, correct. How often are you given that? Well, then can I just work on my left side and call it even? And like, I know a lot of people do that. So there's a lot of fluff out there, right? A lot of people that think they know what they're talking about and they emphasize yeah. the wrong component. So yeah. As a, as, a, as a therapist and as a professional, how are you coaching some of these breathing techniques and how are you coaching 
them to like no it's just not focusing on one side i'm thinking big picture the 360 way yeah yeah and the easiest way to describe that to a patient like if i say if i give my 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 gist of saying you know it's the right bias and they're like well i'm just gonna work on my left side now yeah my 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 argument to that is okay well that might have worked in the very early stages of your life but now you've developed compensations and that's what it's all is all about it's about um superimposed compensations on top of one another, on top of one another, that we've developed because we're trying to be upright, we're trying to have good posture, we're trying to exercise and get stronger, all that stuff that we're told to do, but we're doing it on top of an asymmetrical human body. So that just develops more compensations that superimpose on one another. And that then leads you know, deeper into the rabbit hole of how to fix it. It's yeah. almost like I always think about it as like, a, you know, um, unraveling layers of the onion, right? It's like, you know, you come to me, you got, you got right knee pain. I do some PRI breathing on you. You're like, hey, man, my right knee feels way better, but my left elbow is hurting like crazy. And then I have to unravel that. Okay, let's figure that out now. Because it's all based on these underlying compensations that you've developed over your years of, of your own injuries, of your own traumas. Um, and people say, and I say the word trauma and people don't really understand what that really means. It could be anything that you go through where you have an incident in your life where either uh, mentally or physically you are uh, injured in any shape, way or form. Um, giving birth is trauma. Um, any sort of whiplash injury is trauma. Some, some people say, I never had a concussion because I never hit my head. You don't need a concussion to hit your head. There's all these things that people don't really realize that's causing deeper into their compensations yeah. that now have to kind of unravel that onion. And that's the, that's the beauty of it, right? Our bodies are very amazing things. Like, and if you can understand what actually caused the issue, and it could be simply as, you know, for us, there's quick manual techniques that can emphasize short-term gains. But I think the, the moral of Nick's story so far for our young therapists and students are going into physical therapy is Nick is, again, the epiphany of manual therapy, but he's got multiple tools in his toolbox. PRI is one of them, but overall, his brain is his biggest tool and utilizing that and understanding the core value of like, okay, where is this issue coming from? How can I dive deeper into that issue and really sustain lifetime? And I think that's one thing that you, you said really well is that your clients and your patients aren't with you for one or two sessions. They're with you for life. And I yeah. think because over life, we, we continue to go back into that. So yes, you get a, you get a patient, get them going, get them moving. So let's talk progression. So yes, you get them up and going, you get them moving and so forth. And then, you know, they, they're six months out of the line. Do you find that the initial assessment, the initial treatment plan has definitely taken care of those things? And as you progress into moving better, you're finding more compensations because your awareness of details increased, right? Oh yeah, I mean, once you get the person in an upright position where they're moving, it's a whole new ball game, right? Because like the best thing that I love about PRI is that it's organized. It's like, okay, I'm gonna have the person on their back then put them on their side. So when they're on their back, they have a reference behind them, right? They yeah. know when I want them to do a posterior tilt and make the lower back flat, they have a reference to feel that, right? Yeah. Um, when, I'm, when I'm referencing them to breathe into certain areas, they have a reference for that because we're providing that with them just laying on the ground. If they're on the side, same thing. If, if, if their feet are against the wall, same, same thing. It's all... Um, these external references that we give to make 
what we want, which is kind of that efficient breathing and the efficient movement to occur. But once you stand them upright and they have no support and they're moving around freely, that's when more and more compensation starts to kind of uh, show itself, right? Uh, and that's why it's really about progressing the right way. So, um, and PRI does a great uh, job with this is where they'll start with the person on the floor, on the side, maybe on all fours, and then they'll start moving them upright. But they move them upright, not unsupported. They'll move them upright to maybe like a wall supported. So they're doing maybe like a squat variation against a wall. Maybe they'll use a table or a chair in front of them. So now they have the external reference of the chair or the table to pull their ribs back, to feel that posterior expansion. Whatever it is I'm doing, I need them to feel that. And it's easier to feel that if they have that external support. So basically just kind of building right, those, those, those progressions. It's almost like I look at it like, like scaffolding. Like when you're building a building, when, you get, when you're getting it to become erect and upright, you still have that scaffolding on, right? It's still the supports there. And eventually you start taking all that scaffolding off, taking it off more and more and more until now it's one building that's nice and, and vertical. And that's what I really, I really try to uh, uh, perform with my patients is that kind of progression to be able to do your squats, your deadlifts, whatever you're doing out in the gym and doing it with the same activation of the muscles um, as you were when you were against the wall or when you were on the floor. It, and that, that's really the, the, the hard part of, of the, the progression. That's awesome. And I love that you speak progressions the way you spoke about them is that, you know, no one is, once your patient's ready, they're not always ready to stand or go into a full barbell load. There should be progressions. I had a patient with low back pain did my manual technique, did some core stabilization. I stood him up and then he got this rebound effect. His pain still existed because as a, at that point, my patient was still not ready to stand. So I missed the ballpark. Okay, we should have done quadruped or we should have done something else in, in the, on that table or supported. So it happens quite frequently. And I think a lot of therapists and even myself, we don't think like that. And that's why, again, you want people like Nick in your life to teach you certain things for that reason, right? It's to yeah. remind yourself that there is a, a steady progression and standing is a lot of work. Just standing 100%. functional without, without <laughs> compensation. It's a lot of work. Yeah. People realize yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's like, so think about it like, you know, a, a, a child. Think about it as, as an infant, right? Yeah. Think about it as the developmental progression, right? Um, uh, and you'll see that, all right, well, they, they're, they're on their back, their core is really not engaging, right? They're kind of rocking back and forth. Yeah. Then they end up kind of rolling onto their side and then they're on their side hanging out. And it's not until like around like seven months that they actually start going onto their all fours and they start kind of creeping on the floor, right? And what do they do? They don't just stand up. They grab onto something and then they stand up from there, right? They grab onto a couch, right? They, and they stand up from there. So it's all about kind of creating that same progression from our infancy that we have to now retrain the whole system without those compensations the same way. Exactly, and I think that's what we as the young ones should start doing and utilizing, right? Is teaching our bodies and teaching our clients and patients that essentially we're gonna to try to make you move like babies, right? Nice and slow and then they're most stable. And we always talked about like infants and how they look in squat and deadlift form. They're phenomenal and I'm still- Amazing. Something happened over the years and like you just yeah. lost your way. So. How do you combine the two together? So PRI is one of your biggest toolbox in manual therapy. So how do you utilize the cues of your PRI tactics with your manual technique? Or they, you just kind of separate them both and then put the pieces together? 
Um, so once again, I'm still kind of working on how to combine yeah. them together. Uh, I do that now. Mm-hmm. I think that it's something I still need to, once again, work on and master. And yeah. that's one thing I would give, uh, the advice that I would give to anyone who's still up and coming and not really sure about what they're doing, keep working at it, right? Uh, you know, you can look from an outside perspective and be like, wow, Nick is so smart and knowledgeable. He's, his sessions are probably great. Some sessions I have aren't the best. It's always, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a trend in a direction upwards as your, as your knowledge increases, then you got to try to apply that knowledge, right? Sometimes I look through my Instagram <laughs> and I scroll down. I'm like, oh shit, I haven't done this technique in like six months, you know? A lot of the stuff that I put up on my Instagram I'm learning for the first time, right? Yeah. So it's just like, there's so much out there. Um, um, so, 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 you know, that's a side note for, for all the people out there that are like, you know, I don't feel comfortable or confident when I do techniques or when I do um, mobilizations, manual mobilizations, or if I doing a breathing, cueing, right? Because cueing, breathing is one of the hardest things to do. And that's what really deters people from wanting to get deeper into PRI. They're like, wow, like this is super complex. Like I have to cue this and I only have 30 minutes in my session. Like, do I want to spend 15 minutes cueing one exercise, you know? And the answer is it's, it's worth it. It's, it is a hundred percent worth it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's always about trying to, uh, master the way that you're presenting the material to the patient. Cause that is, that is the, that, that's one thing that I've realized over the years is the most important. It's not about how much knowledge you have. It's about how you can express it to someone and how they can understand that. I always say knowledge is power, but until you can apply knowledge, it's not really powerful. So well said there, sir. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So, and I agree with you. I think it's, it's a matter of finding a cue. Like I have sessions that I walk away from and like that could have gone so much better and this is God all. Yep. And I feel like yep. for me personally, I'm like, wow, I could have done more as a therapist, but you run out of time. And I like yep. what you said there is that, do I want to focus just 15 minutes on one exercise? And you said, yes, it's worth it. And I think that's what another lesson people can learn from him is that it's not always about doing 10, 15 movements in a program. It's not always about doing a hundred different manual techniques in, in, a, in a session. Your job is to find the one that works the best and emphasize that because ultimately, if you find the one, you cue it properly, you take care of it, you get the best results with your clients. Um, 125%, man. Like that's one thing that I've learned from seeing the best of the best in our profession treat. Because I said, you know, I'm an observer. I love just watching, right? So there were some times where I would be over in Steamboat, Colorado, and I would watch some of the great masters of manual therapy. And I'll just be in the corner of the room, like a little fly, and just watching. <laughs> and, uh, and they're just chilling out, not a care in the world. They do one, two, three techniques, talking to the patient, and then boom, the person stands up and this magical change happens. You know, so it's not about doing 100 techniques in a session. The more techniques you do, the more confused you are, the more confused the, patient's, the patient is. And even if it does work, you don't know what actually worked, right? It's, it's, like, it's like, okay, well, I did 20 things for this person and now they feel better, but what really was it? And then it becomes a, 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 you know, a guessing game at that moment. You know, that's why I'm always an advocate of always pre-test, post-test. Do it to, so pre-test, do a technique, post-test it real quick. See if it gave you anything, right? If it didn't give you anything, that's okay. Sometimes that happens. Don't waste your time doing it again. 
you know, and if it did do something, now you know in the back of your head, okay, well, that just did that for him. Yeah. Now I'm going to maybe do something next, but I know that that did work for what I wanted it to do, right? Um, and, and that's a big thing that I think a lot of therapists go through is that they, they have 30 minutes for a session and like, I'm going to do this, 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 this. Okay, now stand up. And the person else still has pain. You're like, shit, man, I just wasted all this time and you still have pain. How about doing one technique, stand them up, assess. The assessment, how long does it take? A couple, you know, maybe a minute or so, then put them back on the table. Do something else, come back up, assess again. And that kind of back and forth is something that I've learned over the years is like, is one is just priceless. That's awesome. And again, I agree with what you said is that, um, right, assess, assess, reassess, test, post-test is great, but also the confusion on the therapist part. Not many people realize on, like I've seen it in, in my clinic is a fairly busy clinic and even in clinicals I've seen it. And I spent some time down in Florida with EXOs and I've seen it there. And like, that's a key component. We do a lot of test retest, but you can always see the one therapist that's kind of struggling. And I've been there before. I'm doing 10, 15 things. I'm like, I have no idea what I did to make this patient feel better. He had a great session though, but the next session, like, what do I repeat? So you get exactly. more as that as, as new therapists and even as students. So great advice that you're giving these guys. I hope they're taking notes at the same time. <laughs> I know I've taken notes. So now you're, you're, you're doing it, you're practicing, you're making the mesh together. And that's awesome. I love to see that. And I, I think you're going to do a great job. I can just tell by that. So as you're continuing to grow and you're, you're working on the manual and kind of meshing together, where do you find the most like, troublesome components of it like what's the hardest component because they're both very complex things manual is very complex and pri is very complex so in the yeah. complexities what's the hardest part for you to really kind of hone in on so i think with manual therapy the hardest thing to learn is finding the true driver of that dysfunction in other words i have a shoulder right shoulder yeah. that uh, isn't moving well, right? Doesn't have good range of motion. Uh, maybe it's painful range. And I do a technique and it makes them feel a little bit better. I do another technique, it makes them feel a little bit better. And I do that one technique that their pain just goes away. And I think that you get better and better at finding what is it that they really need to make them feel better. Um, and, and when I first started learning manual therapy, I was, I was doing everything in the book. I was doing it all. I was trying everything out. Um, and once again, I got confused. They got confused. Everything that we just talked about. And I think the hardest thing is to really understand the, the, the body and their body to a degree where you can feel it. You can sense where that end feel is, right? The end feel is super important when it comes to manual therapy assessing soft hands, right? When I was working at first, I would always have these hard hands pushing and kind of gripping and kind of using my fingers like, like little like uh, pinpricks, right? And mm -hmm. that's the worst way to assess. Because as soon as you go into someone like this, what's gonna happen? A rebound effect, they're tensing up, their muscles getting tight. You're not sensing anything truly in their body. So it's soft hands, it's, it's really uh, isolating, right? Uh, the, that, that end feel and that, uh, um, and trying to really find, well, you know, PR, uh, IPA says, you know, the, the hardest end feel, and that's really hard to find because there's hard end feels everywhere, right? Everyone's kind of tight everywhere. So really trying to like go and 
uh, counterclockwise rotation, go on different angles of your hand and your wrist, and really fighting and pinpointing that the hardest end feel, that when you release that restriction, the person feels 10 million times better. That's one thing that I continue to try to work on, and it's probably the hardest part about manual therapy. I would say for PRI, I would say the hardest part for PRI is um, cueing breathing um, to a person that uh, is really inefficient with breathing. And that is a lot of us out there. Um, and so I would always try to cue breathing and um, try to explain it, right? And, uh, and, and with my words, trying to talk about it. And a lot of people, they still won't get it. Right. And you'll be just like a, a very aggravated therapist. Like, why does this person not get it? Ah. Yeah. And what I've realized is that for, for, for breathing, they need external references. So what I've started doing, um, you know, probably about a year ago, almost every patient that I see for the first time, I'll assess them using a balloon to breathe because the balloon is, I call it the no bullshit <laughs> balloon, right? Cause there's, there's no way you're going to bullshit me if you can blow out this balloon or not. There, there's no way, right? Either you can do it, or you can't do it. That's gonna show us, is your diaphragm working? Is it efficient? How hard is it? Sometimes people do it and, they, and, and it's like a flabby balloon. And they got these big, huge bodybuilders that are pushing heavy, heavy weight and they can't even blow through a balloon. And this is like, wow, holy shit, this is really important. And now they get into my world. I don't have to feed them into, oh, this is why breathing is really important. This is why you should be doing this. No, try to try to try to breathe through this balloon. And if you can't, you'll understand why it's that important. And I'll talk about it more. That's awesome. Well, well done. Well said. And I agree with you. Both of those things are key. Even now for me, just cueing, just simple diaphragmatic breathing with the patient becomes a struggle. So I might have to steal that technique. Um, <laughs> but overall, I agree with the manual therapy is finding the true solution and going in. And I'm constantly teaching some of the students we have is like, don't be pokey. Don't be pushing on things that you don't know you're showing. Assess. Yeah. A lot of times with them, I'm like, activate the muscle. If you want to palpate a certain muscle, find a way to activate it with your hand on there so you know you're on the right tissue and so forth. Exactly. So great, yeah. great techniques and great advice for that. And with that, folks, I'm going to take a quick break um, and pick Nick's brain on the side, and then we'll be right with you. All right, guys. So we're back with Nick Torres. Um, the manual man, and he's dropped a lot of knowledge for us for the last half hour or so, and we're going to continue doing that because the men's filled with a lot of knowledge, and so far, I, I respect and acknowledge everything he's taught you, especially for myself. I've learned a lot in this half hour about PRI, manual techniques, and even working with patients and so forth, and it's a growing industry. Our job is to continue to grow, continue to learn, and use those around you. Like, I started my podcast to, to talk about people in my life that you know not many people know about. And Nick is really well known around the area from his work, from what I've seen. But the beauty of it, he's open and humble to teaching. And with that being said, I want Nick to give his three pieces of advice like all of our, um, all of our guests do. Nick has three pieces of advice for you. And this could be for our young physical therapy students, new therapists in the industry, and just teaching them the, what really truly makes you a successful clinician and what really brings the best profession out of you. Nick, yeah, you have yeah, I think, yeah, 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 man. I think that I would say number one would be, you know, to, ha to have an open mind. I think that a lot of times when you graduated PT school, you look for 
you know, evidence-based research and you're doing all this stuff just because science says to do it, right? And I think the biggest moments and the biggest and the most magic I have with my patients where it's like, wow, that really worked, that's crazy, is the moments when I do something that was different, that was unique, that I learned in a course that maybe there's research on, but not a tremendous amount of research. And maybe people know about it, but not a lot of people know about it, right? It's, 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 it's the things that um, you'll learn. Um, and I, I, would say to, I would say to them, don't let other people tell you don't do it because there's not enough research on it, right? If it works for your patient, keep doing it, okay? Number two would be follow your intuition. And this is a big one for me because of the fact that I think that a lot of times when I'm, I'm a knowledge machine, like I always think about it as information-based download, right? And then kind of bringing it back. And I think that the one thing that I would say is when I'm intuitive with what I'm feeling and sensing, it's, it usually leads me in the right direction. Sometimes it doesn't, but it, it, it's, it's, it's something that's very, very powerful. And as your years progress within PT, your intuition is going to get better and better and better. And instead of just kind of thinking about the rehearsal of your knowledge and trying to spit it back out, just sometimes think about what you, the, the intuition that's happening inside of your, in your body, your brain, connecting to that person, really being connected with your patients is huge. Um, and then the last one I would say is um, be yourself, right? Because a lot of times, you know, you go into a, a, a PT environment, you go into an office setting and everyone's, you know, the, the polo shirts, button down, the khakis, and, you know, everyone is, is not, I, I wouldn't use the word fake, but I would say they're not, they're not acting their true self. And yeah. that's one thing that I learned from my mentors is they act like themselves. And I would go to other clinics and they would be like these, these PT robots. And I was like, ugh, I don't like this at all. Um, and I, when I open up my own practice, um, and, you know, we mentioned, you know, I have, uh, as of right now, a pretty successful PT cash-based practice. Mm. Um, and how did I get here? I didn't get here from, you know, Apollo and khakis. I'm not saying anything is wrong with that, but I'm just, that's just more of an analogy. Um, but I, I, I wear what I want to wear. I act like I want to act. I talk like how I want to talk. And being myself allows people to feel comfortable with me to let go and allow me to do what I do. That's amazing. Um, I love number three because I'm the same way. Like, yeah, I have to wear a polo and khakis to work, but I'm really who I am in the clinic, outside the clinic as well. I'm joking with my patients. We're having fun. Um, we're cracking jokes. I'm sarcastic. And I agree with you. I think that's the biggest definition that you can give someone. Um, trust your instincts, be intuitive, and also be open mind. I think part of the reason why I'm glad Nick reached out and had it was when you look at his work at the manual, manual man, and we haven't even gone to the bricks of what else Nick can do for people as a small business owner. But I truly respect that every time he puts content out there, it's always the same Nick that's presented in front of me. It's always the same level of knowledge. It's always the same level of respect for his patients and clients and they're great results you get and as young professionals i feel like we we have this standard that we want to live up to but we tend to lose ourselves in that and being a small business owner especially a cash-based business owner in new york during a pandemic to be as successful as he is there's something he's doing right and those three advices will take you very far in life as you listen to him but more so is just the comfort he can bring with 
the, the amount of knowledge he has. To some of us, he's like, wow, he's high power, very powerful brain. There's so much. But he kind of made it be feel like we're on the same level the entire time we were talking. And he didn't realize that, right? And it's awesome to have yeah. personality. Um, and I think that's what part of his success is. So those are great advices. Um, and I'll, I'll give one more as well. Absolutely. The last one I would say is go to as many continuing education courses as you can. Literally go to everything you can. I, you know, for our profession, it requires yeah. what, like three, what is it like three a year or three every three years? I don't even know what it is. Three years. Um, I go to probably like 10 a year. Why? Right? You know, like it, it's, 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 it's don't look at the minimum and be like, all right, this is what I got to achieve. I guess I'll just do three. Like try to learn as much as you can because it really does for me, it becomes addictive. The more, the more information you have, the more I can put pieces together. You know, the, the better you get, the more complex patients you see. And the more complex patients you see, the more knowledge you want to attain to make that person feel better. That's, that's amazing because that's the story of my life. So I graduated and I was done. And like six months later, I'm back in the residency program for that reason. I was like, you know what? As a clinician, I need to continue growing. So I went back to, I'm at Arcadia right now, um, looking at the OCS residency and it's just this significant amount of like six months of work we've done has changed how I am as a clinician, how I'm thinking, what I'm looking at, and then trying to put the pieces together. And even I was in personal training for almost now 10 years, I have over like 18 different certifications, even if they're small ones that no one really knows about, it's the knowledge that you attain from them, but it's the back of my mind. And I know that at some point I can utilize it with a patient or a client. So that's four great pieces of advice there and i feel like they're still gonna pop out more if we carry this conversation but like he said early on knowledge is power but truly applying the knowledge and making it come across properly to the patient in front of you to get them to buy into you and making sure they understand what you're saying and then showing the value i think the the moral of this entire podcast and if you look at what nick has talked about and everything we've spoken about is value within your profession if you truly love what you're doing and if you're truly and that's when i asked him what motivates him i don't even need an answer because i feel like that's what it is right it's getting up in the morning getting to work and creating lifetime lifelong changes for your clients and patients will get you going and overall it's the amount of value you put into yourself so if we're stuck with that standard DPT, which again, some people are doing that great, good for you. But if you really wanna excel and really take care of people, that shouldn't be enough for you. There should be more in the pocket and there should be more as the vision comes on. Right, Nick? Yeah, yeah man, 100%. Awesome, well, Nick, I thank you for coming on on your day off. I appreciate the knowledge you've shared with our viewers, our young students and myself included. Um, I hope to bring you on back again soon and we'll talk small business for some people that want to know how a cash-based PT clinic is, but truly, truly honored to have you on today. Thank you for your time and I hope to see you soon. Yeah, man, it was awesome. And yeah, I'll definitely come back and, you know, that whole small business, you know, cash-based, it's a whole, whole machine in itself. So yeah, man, I can definitely talk about that as well. Absolutely. Appreciate it, but I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Later, buddy.